Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show. Coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska. Where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Thank you, Scott. Hello and welcome everybody to the Must Read Alaska show coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. Hey, this is the Tuesday edition because I was on a plane yesterday and I wasn't able to do the Monday show. I'm sorry about that, but my team uh, joined me today, Scott Levesque on board, John Quick and Nikiski, and this, uh, we have a very special uh, guest today, so we're sort of making up for it. We have the governor of Alaska. Welcome, Governor Mike Dunleavy. We're so happy to have you back on the show. Great to be on, Suzanne. Thanks for having me. Hey, I, it's uh, it's early in your day, and I know you've got a really full day ahead of you. So instead of our intro, where we usually talk about, oh, I don't know how great we are, I guess, uh, we're going to just jump right into the topics. Governor, you wrote an op-ed yesterday in Must Read Alaska, and it was really, uh, it's been very well received, getting a lot of comments about your opposition, opposition to a federal or state vaccine mandate. And these mandates are really on everybody's minds. It's kind of what Alaska it's, are talking about. So I thought your op-ed was timely. I thought maybe we could talk about that. Um, we've got some questions from some people, why you as a governor can't put um, a ban on vaccine mandates at private businesses, for instance. What are your thoughts? You'd have to have uh, you'd have to have a state law, for example. I don't have uh, I don't have uni unilateral powers to do that. Um, what you're seeing in other states, for example, in Florida or Texas, is you're, you're getting a legislature that is voting in bills that the governor then signs. You also have a slightly different constitution in those states, obviously, than we do in Alaska. And then you have a judicial system that is uh, somewhat sympathetic to the uh, actions that the governors are taking. So in the state of Alaska, um, we would have to, even under disaster declaration, even if there was a disaster declaration um, that was uh, called for 30 days, I don't have the ability constitutionally to create law. I cannot create law. Um, and so really that uh, to do a mandate um, or to, to prevent a mandate, we would have to have the legislature pass a bill. And um, right now that's, um, it, that would probably be a difficult proposition. The other thing to consider is that when you introduce a bill, it belongs to the legislature. And you may have introduced the bill, for example, to ban uh, a mandates, but in the end, you may end up with a bill that actually assist with mandates, especially if you have a legislature that is uh, not uh, uh, lopsided one way or the other with a, a specific party. So uh, in the case of Alaska, we would need to have a law, a law passed, a disaster declaration simply can't do that. So you, and you can't do it with an executive order, for instance, so you, you can do an administrative order that covers your administration, but you Correct. can't do an executive order that covers the whole state and say, I decree as mayor, uh, as governor of Alaska, that uh, no private business may use uh, vaccine mandates, uh, vaccines as a condition of employment. You don't have that kind of power. No, the, correct. And, and really, Suzanne, I, was, I was, had an interesting conversation with somebody the other day, and they said, you know, Dunleavy, we have uh, tyranny on the left or tyranny on the right, regardless, it's still tyranny. And I said, well, why don't you explain that? And basically what they said is, I'm glad you don't have dictatorial powers. 
Um, you know, even though I am a, uh, 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 I would be considered somebody on the right, this is the individual speaking, that they were glad that um, I didn't have those dictatorial powers because they said in four years or eight years, you might be gone and we may get somebody totally different. So they were actually appreciative of the framers of the constitution that would prevent someone in a, in a, in a position that I have to be able to unilaterally uh, uh, come up with those dictates. And so again, in other states, there's, a, there's legislative action, there's a differences in constitution and the court systems are a little different. Here in Alaska, it's a different situation. Now, with that said, I just want people to make sure I have never been for mandates. If people, if people can look back over the last year and a half, two years, there were countless, countless, countless press conferences where the press was constantly asking, are you going to do a mandate? Are you going to do a mask mandate? Are you going to do this kind of mandate, that kind of mandate? And the answer was no. The reason the answer is no is, quite frankly, America and Alaska, we're not mandate-friendly folks. Uh, the whole idea of the birth of this country through a revolution and then the creation of our constitution to protect our rights. The constitution is really a limiting document. It really, the constitution codifies the, uh, the rights that the people of the states gave to the federal government and it's limited. Well, the same in a state constitution, that the people give the government rights, the people give the government rights and that they are limiting because we don't want to be meddling in each other's business. And so vaccine mandates are a bad idea. Uh, we are prepared to, and we have begun the process of dropping suits against the federal government along with other states to prevent that from happening. Does that mean I don't care about the health of people? Of course not. But the state has done what it said it was going to do. We are providing monoclonal antibodies. We are providing health guidance. We are providing vaccinations for those that wish to have vaccinations. We are not, this is another thing, Suzanne, we are not disallowing doctors or pharmacists to prescribe therapeutics that are legal therapeutics in this country. I know for a fact that we have pharmacists that prescribe ivermectin or dispense ivermectin. We have doctors that prescribe it. That's between the patient and the doctor. And as a governor, uh, the last thing I wanna do is interfere between a patient and a doctor on an issue such as this. And so I think Alaska has really, uh, really charted a course that's been pretty consistent since the beginning of this uh, virus. And um, my goal is to continue to chart that course to get us through that. Uh, and, and to maximize um, maximize everybody's freedoms. Yeah, and I guess you're, what you're saying is, if you had the power to mandate that nobody could um, could have a a vaccine as a condition of employment, then you would also have the power to mandate that they could. I mean, in That's other correct. words, you could you could, you could flip this on its its end and say, yep, in Alaska we're going to have vaccines. You have to have a vaccine to get a job. I order it. I'm the governor. And you're saying, well, that's a little bit too much power for a governor to have. But that's correct. And um, uh, I'll just uh, I'll just add one more thing to that. Um, I don't I don't think I really really would caution businesses, really caution businesses to think through this concept of mandating vaccines for their workers. And the the, the reason I say that is, you know, we're having a problem with employment. And if the policies that you mandate at this time, supposedly in response to what the federal government may or may not do, and again, I believe the federal government is going to be stopped by the Supreme Court once these suits go through, but you run the risk of, of causing your own business harm if, if people leave, if people are quit, are quit, if people are fired. So I would caution all businesses to think through this whole employment issue that uh, we've been experiencing here the last year and a half. You may not have workers lined up at the door. And quite frankly, again, unless it's a specialized business, and this is why I don't want to get involved because I don't know all of the businesses. For example, if you have a, 
You may have an oncology clinic in which you're dealing with people that are, uh, you know, their immune systems are de depressed. Um, you may want to have a conversation with your workers about having as germ-free a uh, workplace as possible for the purpose of your business. And so that would be a different conversation than let's say a, a remote driver would have that never comes in contact with people. Why would that individual have to have a, a, a mandate to get a vaccine? So some of these things don't make a lot of sense, but the mandates themselves have not demonstrated that you end this virus. We cannot end this virus. Science has established that this virus will be with us for some time. The reason is it, it's in animals now. Animals are a reservoir. People are a reservoir. It's going to go back and forth. There are scientists that believe there'll be uh, different variants. So this is with us. We do have to live, uh, learn to live with it. We have to incorporate it in our daily lives. And when you look at a country that's had mandates or a state that has mandates, they still have the virus. They still have outbreaks, outbreaks and they'll still have waves. So I think Alaska does best when it works together and when individuals decide uh, that, that for themselves, they want a vaccination or they don't, or they want to mitigate this in some other fashion. So no, I'm not, a, I'm not a big mandate guy. You kind of look at Australia and they, they locked everything down and they just, they, man, they tightened it so far down. And, and, and then I mean, of course, as soon as they loosen it up, then the virus starts New, moving around again. New and Zealand, they just, yeah. you cannot lock it down forever. I mean, if you want to lock your, your country down forever, Forever. Well, good luck with that. Hey, our uh, my co-host John Quick is on the line, and I forgot to introduce him at the beginning of our show. John, Hello. are you there? I'm here. Yeah. Well, do you have any questions for the governor while you're while you're there in Nikiski? Of course, I do. Well, uh, governor, thanks so much for joining us. You know, I think I, I talk to. I live in Nikiski. I get a hangout with the uh, kind of the rough and tumble average uh, Joe and Jane of Alaska, and I pride myself on being one of those folks and whether it's they work at Hill Corp or um, OSK or you name it, they're in the oil field and um, they're worried about the economy. And, and, and so am I, frankly. And, and so my question to you is, you know, our economy is not doing well. Uh, in your eyes, what do we need to do to jumpstart it? And what can you do as the governor to help jumpstart that? Well, you know, a, a lot of uh, a lot of our economy is based upon natural resources, the development, exploration of natural resources. The previous administration and the President Trump, it was nothing but opportunity. Every time I met with the president, and people will say, "Why? Why did you support, uh, support President Trump?" He was the best president I think for Alaska in our history. Every time I met with him, he would ask, "What does Alaska need?" Uh, he opened everything up from Anwar to the Tongass. He was facilitating the uh, King Cove Road. He signed a presidential permit to have a, uh, a rail spur come across from Canada to Alaska. Uh, opportunity, opportunity, opportunity. This administration uh, immediately set out, in my opinion, in my opinion, their actions will destroy Alaska as a resource state. And people need to keep in mind that Alaska is the only state in the country whose admittance into the union as the 49th state was predicated upon the agreement that we would collectivize. I know it sounds like Soviet Union uh, discussions, but would collectivize our resources under the sovereign. In other words, the state owns the resources, the mineral rights people don't like in Texas or in North Dakota. Where am I going with this? Uh, uh, edict after edict after edict, the uh, federal government, uh, the Biden administration has, is, is, is stopping uh, resource development in the state of Alaska. Well, what does that do? Stops, it stops jobs. It stops employment. It stops wealth. 
It stops revenue for the state. It stops opportunity for us, our kids and our grandkids. It doesn't just stop at oil and gas. It stops at minerals. Uh, in March, there was a quiet meeting between the Biden administration and foreign countries with regard to mining and minerals because they wanted to get their, their minerals from overseas instead of here in the United States in Alaska or places like Nevada. And so our, uh, our uh, uh, future in terms of an economy is still tied to resource development. We are, um, we have invited, we've met with a number of investors, large investors, such as Berkshire Hathaway's and others to come up and invest in Alaska. We, we believe Alaska has got incredible potential and incredible promise. But if, if the Biden administration, if Congress, and if some of these court actions succeed, it's going to really continue to hurt Alaska in terms of our ability to create new wealth for folks and new opportunities for folks. But if we can turn this back, this, this mentality back that if you, if you literally, if you destroy the economy in the United States, uh, if you destroy resource development, you destroy resource development in Alaska, you stop oil production, somehow this will all be rainbows and flowers and everyone will be happy and we never have to work. We, we just reach into our bank account, there's money put in there, et cetera. That is very unrealistic. And what is gonna happen is we're gonna push these opportunities overseas. The Russians are laughing all the way to the bank. They own the Arctic. They know they own the Arctic because we gave them the Arctic under this administration. The Chinese are laughing all the way to the bank. I'll tell you an interesting story. I'm a big renewable guy. And now people may find that as a, uh, somewhat of a surprise. Renewable energy, because I think for Alaska, we have a lot of potential. And I'll give you an example of, uh, of how ridiculous some of these policies are. I'm a big renewable guy. Solar panels have dropped dramatically in price, which I am very glad that they have, because you're going to see more and more people in Alaska that will become energy independent in their residences. But how did they drop? How did the prices drop? How do they, what, what, what powers Chinese electrical plants and, and, and factories? Coal. coal. So they've increased their coal use to drop the price of solar panels. This is, the, this is kind of the, the strange world that we live in. And so, John, in answer to your question, our fiscals in the state are looking pretty good with the permanent fund at 83 billion. We've closed our uh, pension obligation gap and oil's in the 80s. So from the state's perspective, the state government is in good shape. We just need to make sure that we continue to have the opportunities to develop our resources. This is why we've set up a state defense approach. And I wanna thank the legislature for, um, for uh, uh, agreeing to um, a fund um, several million dollars so we can fight back against this administration. We're forming a compact with uh, uh, resource development states in this country. So we have a block of states that will fight back against this nonsense um, in the federal government. Look, and I'll end, the, I'll end this, 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 this answer with this. We all want clean air. We all want a great environment. Alaska does it better than anywhere else in the planet. This idea that if you, if you produce oil or you, you, you have a mining play, it destroys everything. It's nonsensical. You can do both. You can have a strong economy based upon resources and a great uh, environmental record based upon uh, good standards. And so we need, we need to get the federal government out of the way on the resource development. They're asking the Saudis and the Russians to produce more oil. When just a couple of years, a year ago, we were producing oil and exporting it. And now we're starting to import, import oil from places like Russia. It's, it's somewhat maddening.
It's it's incredible that Biden is Biden, and of course the courts as well. Our, our courts haven't been friendly to Alaska, and but let's talk. Let's turn pivot a little bit on that because I'm really interested in what's going on with the natural gas. We've got a lot of natural gas in Alaska right now. We're still injecting a lot of it up on the North Slope to sort of force out more oil and produce oil because that's we've got a pipeline for oil. We don't have a pipeline for for gas, and so we don't have a, a treatment plant. And we've had lots of plans on the tables and. Uh, luckily, we don't have the Chinese owning our natural gas treatment plant and system, but we, we sort of could get some natural gas going for at least for Fairbanks. We, we should be able to get it that far. Is it realistic at all or are we going to be able to do anything with our with our natural gas? I think I, I think so. Um, and, you know, prices of natural gas, just like oil go up, they go down. But generally speaking, as as efforts are made throughout the world to curtailed use of coal, and you take that uh, off the table as time goes on. I mean, right now, in the near future, coal is, there's an increase in the use of coal because of uh, um, uh, just the energy needs by a number of uh, developing nations. But as coal is taken offline, you're really left with oil and gas and renewables. And then there's an attempt to, to limit uh, oil production, as you know. We've got banks that don't want to invest in oil production, especially in the Arctic. But as that happens, you're going to see the you're going to see gas become a mainstay. As a result, I see the prices continue to go up. So, for example, there are a couple of concepts that um, AGDC is looking at. One is a um, a line from the Point Thompson gas fields to Fairbanks, somewhere in the neighborhood of seven billion dollars, eight billion dollars for that line. Um, why Point Thompson? Because the gas doesn't have a lot of CO2 in it, and so you don't really need a conditioning plant, which would increase the uh, price of the project. So if you get it to Fairbanks, the idea is once it gets to Fairbanks, you've de-risked that line, you've de-risked the gas concept in Alaska, and we would see uh, more and more private investors come in because a lot of private money has been sitting on the sidelines. We've got large investment houses talking about the fact that they want to invest in places that will return a dollar. Uh, there's a number of them that are looking at Alaska. So I believe that there's a real possibility for a gas line. This infrastructure bill that Congress is toying with, and I don't mean the infrastructure bill that deals with uh, uh, what people would consider to be not infrastructure, but infrastructure, bridges, roads, uh, energy transmission. I believe that there's some real promise that if that thing gets passed in a limited fashion, and not something that spirals out of control, but a limited fashion, that there'll be, um, there'll be potentially tax credits, loan guarantees, et cetera, for private business to invest. And so. I see a real opportunity. I know we've talked about a gas line since the creation of the state. Um, and I know there's been fits and starts, um, but I believe that there's a real possibility. Right now, uh, the Asian market, at times, uh, a unit of gas is going for 30 bucks. Uh, a unit of gas in Europe is going for six or seven. Um, even in the United States, it's way above its average in, uh, of its uh, Henry Hub prices. And so I would see gas as, as being more and more in demand as time goes on. So I do think there's a real possibility for pipeline. Yeah, I believe that in the lower 48, there's going to be, they're predicting a gas shortage this winter because uh, you know, we're not using coal, you know, oil is becoming so expensive and, uh, they're, and they're just, uh, the Biden administration is locking everything down. I mean, we're supposed to, to, to go to these renewable energies that of course require rare earth minerals and they require other things. I mean, I don't know how people really think their electric cars are run in the, in the lower 48. They plug them into the wall and they think, oh, yay, free electricity. It's all coming from, I mean, still we're still burning fuels. We're not exactly have, having renewables run these cars. And then, of course, I know that you're a big renewable person, but um, the fact is, is that these, these uh, electric cars 
are really, really difficult to recycle. They're, they're, they're really difficult on the environment. They're not the best solution either. So well, let's turn our topic to something else. Um, you know, this, is, this ties it all together. It just feels like that the federal government is always leveraging against Alaska. It feels like we're the, the state that always ends up having to pay the price. It's always the Sierra Club. It's always the Wildlife Federation and other countries too. And right now you see a lot going on at the international level with this global climate change summit that the president went to. And it seems like Alaska has to be sacrosanct. In other words, we have to have our Tongass forest has to be the big CO2 um, farm for the whole world. So what, what can we do to, to fight back against Alaska continuously being leveraged like this? Have a, have, a, have a pretty in-depth, mature conversation with anybody and everybody we bump into. What do I mean by that? A lot of these extreme environmental, environmentalist organizations are actually destroying the world, Suzanne, and I'll explain that. <clears throat> by focusing on Alaska, or focusing on America, and putting all their efforts and all the money into stopping uh, oil production in the United States, uh, uh, even gas production, uh, mineral production, um, harvesting trees, these same people that make a ton of money off of, this, off of the, um, uh, uh, the, the statements that they make and the actions that they take, they fly jets, they, they drive cars, they use wood in their houses, they use minerals in their cell phones. And it, what they get away with is they just dismiss that. They just say, ah, oh, yeah, 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 okay. But we got to stop them and say, wait a second, you can't say it's okay for you. And then the single mom with three kids has to struggle to pay for high prices in gasoline because you've stopped production of oil and gas in the United States of America, or you're trying to. You can't say, oh, it doesn't matter about me flying the jet. I mean, how else will I get to Davos to meet with the other billionaires so I can tell poor people how they, how they should live? And really, the biggest hypocrisy of these groups is that if they really claim to care about the environment, you would want to do it all here in Alaska. By state law, not the EPA, state law years and years ago, we decided to not flare our gas in the slope, but to re-inject it into the ground. We're as carbon-free as you're going to get of any state, and we're probably as carbon-free as you're going to get compared to many countries, especially developing countries. But we have to have the mature conversation because if these people truly care or believe what they're saying, they wouldn't want development taking, in pla taking places in some parts of the world where they use child labor where they don't care about the environment. Well, I saw a picture the other day, and I'll send it to you, of one lone tree in a devastated forest, uh, a, a clear-cut forest in Borneo, one lone tree, and in it was a, an orangutan. It was, it was probably emblematic. It was a symbol of what we're talking about. So we have to fight back. The only reason they're going to win, and they're wrong, we can, we can live in a world that has balance. And this idea that human beings are, shouldn't be part of this world is nonsense. We can live in a world that has balance, where we take care of the environment like we do in Alaska, and we provide jobs and opportunity for our people, and we provide the resources to underpin our civilization, including cell phones and jets to fly to Davos. So we got to call them out on their hypocrisy. We got to call them out on the fact that their policies hurt poor people, not just in this country, but all over the world. We got to call them out of the fact that their policies destroy the environment. Their policies destroy the environment worldwide. They, it, there's no other way to describe this. 
We cede, we cede our uh, national security to foreign actors. We basically gave mm -hmm. the Arctic to the Russians. They own the, they own the Arctic. Yeah. Um, we, and so the list goes on and on and on. Well, that is, um, uh, that is sort of the way we feel here at Mustard Alaska as well, is that we see the hypocrisy in it. And, and it's, it's good to hear you articulate it. Maybe what I'll do is I'll capture some of these um, thoughts that you've had today and throw it in an article because I think it's worth repeating that um, we've got billionaires, the, the richest one-tenth of 1% 1 flying to Davos to try to, uh, in their own private jets, try to figure out a way to make it harder for poor people. And so, um, so, so I, heard, well, I, heard this, I heard this once just a, uh, two years ago in a conference that I thought was beautiful. And basically, is, like you said, and I said, these guys are billionaires that fly in their jets to talk to millionaires about how poor people should live. And if that doesn't illustrate the entire fallacy of this whole thing, nothing else does. Very, very good. Well, listen, I know you've got other things to do, or you, um, you know, and I appreciate all, all your time today. This is going to be a great show, and I think people are going to appreciate it hearing from you. Do you have any closing thoughts uh, for Alaskans before we let you go on the rest of your day? Yeah, of course. We're in a, we're in a fight. You know, and, and uh, you know, and when people on the other side of the spectrum will say, oh, he's talking about, you know, people should do violence. No, not at all. But we are in a fight. And the framers of our Constitution, both uh, at the state level and at the federal level, put in mechanisms for us to be able to fight politically and put our swords down. And so there are many opportunities for, for Alaskans and Americans to get involved in pushing back. One is, like we said, have this conversation when you're talking to somebody that says, oh, we, sh we shouldn't do anything in Alaska. We should save Alaska. You know, where are all the save the Delaware posters or save Rhode Island? You never see that. It's always save Alaska, which really is code speak for let's destroy Alaska, turn it into a national park. So once again, only the rich can come here. So I would say to the people of Alaska, we're fighting like crazy on a daily basis against this administration and the craziness that's coming out of Washington. We're fighting like crazy to make sure that there are no mandates put on the state of Alaska or the people of Alaska. We're fighting like crazy to do that. I'm gonna make sure that you have the choice if you wanna take a vaccine or not, but you're never gonna be compelled to take a vaccine or not. And we're gonna do everything we can to make sure that you have that right. Um, we're gonna talk more and more about how this pandemic in many respects is receding to the background of most Americans, that they're focusing on other things because quite frankly, the science says that the pandemic is going to be with us for many years, if not forever. And we've got to be able to accept that and incorporate it in our lives, which we're working on now. And there'll be some information coming out here over the next uh, week or two on that. But all in all, I would say this, Suzanne, um, we have a real opportunity to win the minds and hearts and the battle over these policies and how this country and how this state are going to uh, look going forward. But it's not going to happen if we don't get out and vote, if we only vote, for example, uh, in local elections at 13% or 15%. Everyone's got to get out and vote. Everyone's got to get out and vote in all these elections. Everyone's got to have conversations about what they believe in. This is the time to make sure that you fight hard to let people know what you believe in and make sure that we get what you believe in into policy so we can continue to have what I believe, and I think most people on the planet believe is the greatest country this, this world has ever seen. I Thanks, agree, folks. I agree. Well, you know, I just, you know, thank you, Governor, and, and just for the rest of our listeners, you know, the, the governor is, uh, you know, he's the first 
uh, state, he, he, Alaska is the first state to open vaccinations to anyone eligible. And, and we ought to all really be thankful for that. If, if, you're, if you're for vaccines or not, everybody knows I'm fully vaccinated. My, I even have my booster shot. Um, and and the, the state has consistently led the country in COVID-19 testing, which I think is why our numbers are so high, because we test so much. And that's a, a little explained fact. We were one of the first states to make monoclonal antibody therapies free and available to everyone. And the, the Dunleavy administration is also responsible for coordinating all this PPE that came at a time when there were international shortages and even making sure that our some of our manufacturers here in Alaska, some of our, our distilleries could, um, to, could convert over and start making hand sanitizer. And they even made their own swabs uh, with a company up there in the Matsu Valley when swabs weren't available. So all the things that the Dunleavy administration has done, including end the, the disaster declaration on April 30th of this year, which uh, one of the first states in the country to do so, and you know, we, we still have some of the best health outcomes in our state. We still have a very, very strong um, survivability rate in the state. We've got a lot of, of COVID going around, but people are surviving in our state pretty well. So thank you, Governor, for being on our show. Really appreciate you and all you do, and I hope you'll come back. Hey, thanks, Suzanne, and um, uh, thanks, everybody. Yeah, so take heart, everybody. We've got a really strong governor. He's fighting like crazy. You can hear he's very passionate about um, wanting to make sure that Alaska is uh, economically sound. And, and so a special thanks to everybody who's, who's um, listening today. Thank you, John Quick, my co-host. The rest of the week, you can always check us out at mustreadalaska.com. You can sign up for the Must Read Alaska newsletter that goes out three times a week. I'll get you caught up in case you miss something at the website. So you just drop your email in the box there at mustreadalaska.com. And, and uh, Scott Lebeck, our producer, thank you once again. I will talk to you later in the week as we're kind of tag teaming the Must Read Alaska four or five days a week now. And I really appreciate you producing this show. So for everybody else, thanks again. And we're going to sign off from somewhere in Alaska. <laughs>